You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome back to another page turner with Big Dog and Lil Stuff. I'm Stephanie Menard. I am Tom Hutchison. And and we're back. <laughs> Finally. I, I know. I was I was just telling Thomas it's been like the craziest uh, month I've had in a long time. And none of it's really been work related. It's all just been like life related where like, you know, sick dogs, my furnace broke, just all kinds of crazy stuff. So yay life. <laughs> it's so fun. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and uh, you know, I've been uh, uh, packaging and shipping um, roughly 500 packages for kickstarter stuff and uh you know it's uh it's 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 never ending and now i'm actually in michigan still which is it's which is not normal for me um normally i'm out on the west coast by now but uh i'm staying here because i had extra stuff to do and um now i'm having to you know shovel the driveway from snow and and all that kind of stuff so i wasn't really prepared for that but um you know I got to get my I got to I got to work my way back into the Midwest because the goal is to land back here next year and and stay permanently. So we're taking we're doing a little bit of winter this year just to kind of get acclimated for next year's real winter. (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, being here around this time is not your usual and it is so cold out today. Oh, my God. And I'm bundled up like I probably look like a homeless person because I have so many (laughs) layers on. I don't match. I look disheveled. It's just I don't care. It's cold, and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Says the girl who's lived in Detroit for her whole life. Yeah, I have. Um, but you know, I was in Florida last week, and I mean, while oh, you the, got this, you got spoiled. Yeah, well, yeah, but see, the weather there. I mean, yes, it was way nicer than here, but like, there were nights when it was like fifth, like forty-five degrees, and the highest temperature it was while I was there was 81 and that was just for the first day and then it went down to like 70 60 between 65 and 70 every single day mm-hmm. so it wasn't that warm but it was warmer than here so I'll give it that so yeah a warm, little spoiled warm, a little spoiled yeah, warmer than the 19 it is now yeah <laughs> just um thinking about outside is making my um imaginary testicles shrink up into my body <laughs> i i do not have testicles uh for the record just to throw that out there. just the envy yeah just yeah testicle envy that's it <laughs> uh so so enough about that um we should we're going to talk about antoinette because it's finally arrived people yeah baby which is super exciting. This is the one that I've been waiting for. And you have been so busy, I didn't even get to finish it. But I got most of the way through it before I went out of town. Cool. Um, so it's what, okay. What's, what's most of the way? Like, where um, did you end? I ended, oh gosh. It was like the one girl was like trying to go after revenge on somebody that she thought she was that she wanted revenge against. But, um, Antoinette was like, you know, why are we getting revenge on this person? Okay. So you got through most of it. Yeah. Yeah. I got through most of it. Um, but so, I mean, we can talk spoilers. It's okay. Cause I mean, I'm going to finish reading it regardless. I just, you know, (laughs) didn't quite make it through the last pages, not because it wasn't good, just because I was like, Oh, I have to go do this. And then I, and then I flew to Florida. (laughs) So, so everybody should have their Antoinette uh, from the Kickstarter, right? 
Yeah, pretty much. There, there's probably still some stuff that's still in transit, but um, you know, 99% of the packages are shipped. The only thing that's left are some some stragglers, like some of the guys that got some of the metal covers. We haven't gotten those finished yet, but um, yeah, basically it, it's all out the door, and and uh, everybody should have it now or within the next you know week. Which is good because this has been a chore for the last year. But um, I think in the end, the the response that I've been getting because it, we actually put the digital copy out months ago, and once the book was finished, uh, you know, we we threw the digital out right away because we were so behind anyway. And um, the response that we got right away from the digital copies was people were loving it, and and which is great because for those that don't know, we started this project a year ago, last October, and um, during the course of producing it, I, as the writer, realized that I wasn't going to be able to tell the story I wanted in a single issue in the 20 odd pages that we had kind of had it planned to be. And instead of having a big cliffhanger and then like doing a second issue, I just said, look, we're just going to expand this whole thing by eight pages. I'm going to tell the story that I want to tell within that, that, that frame of, of pages. And I think it's going to be a better product. Um, I think everybody will be happier with it. Um, but of course that means that Ryan had to go draw eight more pages and, and we had to color eight more pages and we had to letter eight more pages. Um, and so it just kind of, it kind of hit at, at a bad time. Um, you know, with conventions happening and everybody's schedules were just out of whack. And, uh, uh, so finally we got it done and, um, uh, uh, and I, and like I said, the, the response to the digitals right away as, as from reading the book were, were very, very good. Even my editor, Carrie Castor, um, who is, is very literary. And if you guys read Shahrazad, we'll talk about that later. She's very literary. So she likes to put a lot of that stuff into her books. So when she reads my books, stuff like Critter and, you know, Penny for Your Soul and Ursa Minor and whatever, my stuff is very just genre fiction, essentially. So it's, she likes it, but it's not really like her bag really um so when she edited antoinette and she was done with it she actually just gave me an unsolicited compliment like out of the blue she was like you know i really like this this was really cool you know uh it's it's kind of you know more up my alley so the fact that she just kind of came out and was like dude this is cool i was like oh that's that was like the ultimate thumbs up for me you know um <laughs> because you know, i know she likes what we do but um i got like an an extra sense out of this book so i was like if she likes this book I have a feeling that everybody else is really going to like it. So, um, so far, so good. That's awesome. Yeah. And and for people listening that don't know what Antoinette is, why don't we tell? Why don't you tell them a little bit uh, about um, Antoinette? Yeah, it's a comic book. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Sweet. Yep. <laughs> so we'll see you next week. That was a great um, show. Yeah. So Antoinette basically was a product, a product, a project I had sort of in the back of my head for a while. Um, I was working on all kinds of other things. I was bouncing back and forth between Aspen Comics, trying to get my life in line. So it was very back burner. Um, but uh, the, the stars sort of aligned at one point a few years ago. And and Ryan Kincaid and I started to talk about doing a book uh, together. And I was like, well, I've got this thing. And and I don't know if, if this makes sense to you. Um, and would you want to do it? And he was like, yeah, let's, let's jump on this. So basically the idea is we're taking Marie Antoinette. Uh, for those that don't know, she was, of course, um, Queen of France and, and was beheaded uh, way back in the day. Um, and so we've kind of taken that basic historical element uh, and character and storyline and blended it with some sort of what we call headless horseman ideas, you know, supernatural 
types of things. We're going to try not to do too many spoilers here tonight um, or today, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know we we might drop a few. Um, so basically, we, we've created a way to bring Antoinette back from the dead um, in in sort of headless horseman e ways. Um, but not in the typical like, oh, we found her skull in the graveyard. Like that's we're not doing that. We always I always try and do things a little bit more different than, than what people expect. Um, and in, in designing the book, in, in writing the book, I had to figure out what this story was, which was very difficult because, like I said, I, I want to do things in a different capacity. Um so I just started researching Marie Antoinette, like in general, like who was she, where'd she come from? What is the real story? Uh, I watched the movie of course with Kirsten Dunst, but that's, that's just, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> it's fun, a very but it's pretty, ridiculous. yeah, it's a really pretty movie. The costumes yeah. were amazing. I, the well, yeah. cinematography was great, but yeah, it was a little, you know, it just, it was, it ended up being a nothing kind of film. So, um, you know, it, it gave me some visual inspiration, but I had to really go deeper. And, and I ended up finding, of all things, and I never, ever in my lifetime would have imagined I found this, I found the, the actual handwritten transcripts of Antoinette's trial and subsequent execution. And uh, there are some very weird things in there, um, not just within the context of how they were trying to frame her, but um, even within the context of, of the execution and how it happened. And within that, uh, within that transcript, I found my way in um, to the story and to beyond the story, which was, uh, which was really amazing. And, and I just kept going deeper and deeper and it was really fun. Researching books is, is fun to do when you're researching your story, but when it's real history that you're hitting on and you're finding weird stuff that, that makes it really even more fun to me. Oh yeah. Well, and especially with like, I love history. I obviously I do a a history podcast, so I, I, I love, um, you know, the past is is very fascinating, you know, times change and, and the way that we do things change. And it's interesting to kind of see what's come before. And I love, you know, taking, you know, something that's based in history and kind of, you know, so it's factual in some ways, but then you get to kind of play with it. I think that yeah, his, historical fun. fiction. Yeah, yes. this is truly historical fiction. It is based on her trial execution um, and the, the little tidbit that I found in, in the uh, transcripts of her execution that is real. And then I took that from that stand from that point. Then, then obviously we we blended our supernatural elements in to to you know to bring her back to life. But um, it ended up being being a twenty eight page story. We have a four page backup story uh, written by uh, Heather Finley and drawn by Nia Rafino that um, also is true. Well, again, based on based in truth. Um, that that kind of surrounds uh, uh, the mystery of Marie Antoinette's cats and and uh, what happened to them after everything went down. Oh, so geez. it's a really cool, <laughs> yeah, it's a really cool uh, kind of all around story that that is based in historical fact. I like um, so I like I said I, I read most of it. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to see how it ended yet, but I will. Okay. okay. Um, what I liked is uh, that even with like. N- not even going into like the headless horseman stuff. I like that you kind of use like this whole mystical. Um, it, it seemed like they were like witches, like they were doing like this very right. witchy, um, you know, stuff that you would get like killed for doing back in the day, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, to to preserve uh, Marie Antoinette's uh, spirit. Right. And Correct. I, 
I thought that was really, really neat. Like it was a neat take on, you know, bringing her back. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, women in this comic, which I also enjoy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very women centric. Um, I mean, most of what I do, honestly, is is you know very women centric. Um, <laughs> Tom I mean, you, loves the ladies. It, it could be said that Big Dog Inc. is highly sexist because all we do is promote women here. Oh, that's um, so sexist. I know, right? Ugh, um, we don't do any beefcake at all. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it, it is women centric. I mean, part of that is it was because of the reality of the story and I'll, and I'll give you the little, uh, the little weird thing that I found in, uh, in the transcripts that ended up being our story, um, during Marie Antoinette's execution, spoiler alert. I mean, it's only 225 years old, but spoiler alert, this is, this is the legit real happenings of her, her trial, uh, or her execution. Um, when she was put up on the guillotine, um, first of all, she stepped on the guards toes. That's very real. She apologized to the, uh, to the, the, the executioner guy. She's like, sorry, didn't mean to do that. Wow. Um, they, they, yeah, that's, that's real. They put her on the, uh, you know, the guillotine bed and put her head through the thing, lopped off her head. And then this was the weird thing that I found that is in the actual transcripts. When her head hit the bucket and the blood started to kind of spill down, three girls came out of the crowd and started to sop up the blood with the quilting stuff that they had had in their hands. Uh, which is another story, which is also real. And we'll come back to that too. Um, and, and they were click quickly whisked off by, you know, authorities. Um, and they were never heard from again. So immediately when I read that part, I was like, that is my doorway. Those three girls who are sopping up Marie Antoinette's blood is the gateway to what we're going to do with this character. And that's where the witches came into play. That is where we started to, um, you know, play with the idea of the Ouija boards and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and so that's kind of half the reason why it was a woman centric, you know, uh, uh, book, uh, because that, that's the doorway that opened for me. And, and I just took it and ran through it. Um, the quilting part I found really interesting because, as I started to look into the the idea of, of you know people, why would they have quilting materials at at uh, at an execution? As it turns out, that's a real thing too. Women, it almost it's almost like tailgating. Women would show up and have quilting sessions while waiting for these executions to happen. Oh, and geez. yeah, just like <laughs> what is going on? So it's like the it's like the, that's the first tailgate I think is is uh, <laughs> these these quilting sessions at executions. So very strange stuff and uh, and very cool as you go further down the rabbit hole and and you learn about all these things. And in fact, the guillotine itself, uh, if I recall, was has only was only around for about ten years when she got hacked. So even the guillotine was a fairly new item within the uh the the world of 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 antoinette at the time did they just hang people before that because i mean i know hanging was common a common hanging yeah hanging burning at the stake depending on your 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 crimes of course and uh uh, you know just being shot stuff like that yeah Mm -hmm. but then they're like no wait a minute (laughs) we have a way cooler idea (laughs) yeah it's literally it's almost like they they figured out that uh the public execution would be way cooler if, you know, things were flying off of people, I guess. I don't, I don't know. It's, uh, that's, that's another, that's another little bit of history that you'll have to go back to and kind of, and see 
whoever created this thing, what was his intention? <laughs> yeah, you know, I did read up on the creator of of the guillotine like um, oh. a while back, and unfortunately, like I was going to do an episode of uh, Shot of History on um, him, but I I didn't end up finishing my research, so. Uh, the next, the next uh, set of shows I do with them, I'll do a show on him, and I'll, I'll bring back some of that knowledge uh, just nice. for fun. Yeah. <laughs> nice, love it. Good times, good times for historical fiction. Good times. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's that's really neat that you know those uh, transcripts kind of gave you like that doorway, like you said, because I was wondering, you know, when you said that you had read something in there, like, and the fact that she stepped on there, the the man's foot and apologized, I would have been like. Psh, you're about to cut my head off. Like, I don't care that I just yeah. stepped on your foot. <laughs> well, and, and that was Marie, man. I mean, she was she was just stoic, you know, all the way through. She was like, look, you guys got me. You're going to you're going to do whatever you want. I can't say or do anything to change your minds. So, you know, it's all wrong. And and basically she forgave everybody for what was happening because it was all kind of, you know, it was all kind of like this big whirlwind of of. Uh, almost kind of like we're at now where we're having like this Trump impeachment thing. It was kind of like this big whirlwind of so much is going on at once, but you know, what's real and what's not. And back then it's just like, Hey, look, you know, we're just going to take care of, they, they killed her husband, the King, of course. Right. And then they killed her, um, her son and her daughter, uh, uh were locked up. Um, her, her, her son ended up dying in prison. Her daughter ended up, um, being let free, uh, and she ended up marrying another guy, but they never had kids. So really the lineage stopped, you know, not w- within, you know, 20 to 30 years of, of, uh, of Antoinette's execution. So, um, she basically just was like, look, you know, you guys do what you want to do and, and uh, you're not getting anything out of me. So, um, I think that also kind of, you know, probably pissed off the, 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 uh, the revolutionaries and, uh, they were like, look, you know, just, just get rid of her. And they did, they, they tossed her body on an open grave and it was just, it was just all, it was all bad. But what's, what's crazy is, is not long after that, they kind of were like, Oh, God damn it. We screwed this up. They went and found the body. They, uh, they got King Louis's body. They, they did, you know, they, they buried them properly and, and you know, all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it wasn't that the, the Royal family was necessarily perfect, you know, and, and they got completely framed, but, um, there was there was uh, there was just a lot of problems at the time, um, and and the thought process was well, let's eliminate who we think are making the problems, and uh, and then we'll go on from there. Yeah, you know, politics is never uh, cut and dry. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that never yeah. is. It never is. As much as we know, we don't know anything. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's uh, it's kind of ugly. But, you know, the the story of uh, Marie Antoinette's been one that's fascinated uh, people, including myself. So I think it's really cool that you kind of, you know, brought that back in in a different way and, mm-hmm. and brought it back to life, but kind of gave her like almost bringing her back to life one last time to like kick some ass. <laughs> yes. Well, and that's sort of and that's and and, and again, I, I try to want to avoid spoilers, but the. I wanted to get to the ending the way that I did because I knew that it would be, oh, I hoped it would be a satisfactory ending. Um, and, and the, the, the folks that have read the book and have gotten to the ending, they have actively sought me out and said, dude, I really liked the way you ended this book because it's not the way I expected it. It's almost the way that I hoped it would end. Um, and you gave me that, uh, even though I was expecting something else I was like, yes, that's, that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted you guys to, you know, to have this hope for, what the ending will be. Um, 
but not necessarily write it in the way that it's going to happen. But then we got the little twist at the end and, and we move on. So in, in our story, I mean, to kind of skip over all the heavy spoilers, Marie is back. She is, is you know, we won't say alive and well, but her spirit is, you know, walking uh, the earth again in, in, a, in a way. And um, we definitely have more planned uh, for her as we go forward. That is awesome. And well, and speaking of Antoinette, like, you know, historical fiction, you know, is one thing. Um, but I have noticed, too, that people use a lot of um, public domain characters when they do sure. uh, writing. It's not it's not uncommon to see somebody no. take a character and, you know, make their uh, there's a oh, gosh, and I can't remember the name of the gentleman who writes it. Um, uh, Harriet, Tub- uh, Harriet Tubman Demon Slayer. Sure. Uh, it's very, well, yeah, and very there's, uh, good. There's, there's Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, and Pride and Prejudice, and Zombies, and you know, there's, there's all kinds of that stuff. Um, plus, oddly enough, um, a, a good portion of what I do is is public domain stuff. I wrote, I write the Legend of Oz, which is a Western reimagining of the Wizard of Oz. Um, I write, um, and now I'm going to forget everything that I write. Um, <laughs> Penny for Your Soul obviously is based on biblical characters. Um, uh, Shahrazad is is another you know public domain fictional thing. So I, I've actually landed in a lot of public domain stuff myself. So yeah, no, it's it's very common, um, more common than probably people realize. But it's it's less common that somebody kind of hits a vein of something that you know really changes the concept. Um, and, and, and catches public attention. I mean, anybody can just kind of write Oz if you want to, but, uh, to kind of modify it in a way that, that, you know, holds true to what bomb wrote, but, you know, is something completely new. Uh, you know, that's when you catch audience attention and, and, and so on. Um, but yeah, public domain is, uh, is very, very popular. Now, what do you think the draw is to, because, you know, you've used several, you know, like you just said, you, you've used several, uh, public domain, uh, characters or ideas. What do you think the draw is? I mean, is it because, like, you're a fan of that particular character or theme or story and you want to do your version of it? Or is it just, it's like you feel like it's a good starting point and you want to take it to a different level? I mean, what is it that inspires people? Uh, at least, well, I guess I shouldn't say people. I should say you because you don't know what other people think. Sure. <laughs> um, what is it sure. that inspires you to use these, um, you know, these stories and characters? Well, for me, it was it was more kind of accidental um, in most cases. Like with Oz, it was just sort of a completely random series of events that that led to the idea. Um, Scheherazade was also kind of an accidental thing that that we were designing the book that was Scheherazade um, as this huge fantasy adventure epic thing. But, uh, uh, my, my now ex-wife, uh, came up with the idea of making her Scheherazade. Um, and, and we kind of reformatted the stories to, to kind of fit around what we know Scheherazade to do with her, her never ending stories and so on. So for me, it was always kind of accidental. Um, but I think ultimately there's two things that would drive people to do public domain work. The first is you probably have some connection to it in some way, shape or form, whether you, you know, for example, if you saw the Frankenstein movies and you're like, oh, that's cool. I want to write a Frankenstein story. Um, I think you've got to have a connection to the, to the material first. And if you don't, and you just decide to kind of open a book and point at something and say, oh, okay, Julius Caesar, you know, I'm going to write that story. You're not going to accomplish anything because you have no connection to it. But if you have connection to the material in some way, um, and, and, and you really like it, 
you know, that's why fan fiction exists. I mean, that's basically, you know, public domain type of thing, except that it's illegal. It's not public domain. Right. But people, <laughs> want, people want to write. I mean, not illegal. People aren't selling the stuff, but you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not a, it's not something that you, you can't just take Twilight tomorrow and go make your own Twilight. That's that's illegal. Um, but they write fan fiction because they love the concepts. They love the characters. So. Going back into public domain, if you like Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy, you know, whatever, um, and you say, well, I want to write a mummy story. Well, great. Go go write a mummy story. I think the other thing, particularly in uh, when we're talking about for, for marketing and sales, uh, public domain adds a little bit of bonus to your lineup because if someone walks by your booth at a Comic-Con, for example, and they don't know what Critter is and they don't know what Ursa Minor is, but then you write next to that stuff is something called the Legend of Oz. People know what Oz is intrinsically. They just know, oh, I know what Oz is. What What is this? So you can kind of get people to stop and 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 listen and say, you know, tell me what this is. Um just based on having certain things on the table that that people understand already. So there's value in it uh, in, in a marketing sense. Um, but again, if, if all you're doing is trying to market off the idea um, and you don't have a connection to the material itself, what you're producing probably isn't going to be strong enough to hold people's attention. Absolutely. And I mean, why would you, and, and I understand the whole marketing aspect because yes, everybody knows like you know, Dracula, everybody, you know, there are certain concepts and things that like you said, people, they, they know about whether they've read it or whatever, they've heard of it. So they know yep. it exists and they know enough about it. Um, but I mean, there are tons of ideas that you can use that you have a connect, like don't just use something to use it. If you don't have a, a truly original twist or idea or, um, you know, like a compulsion to write it, then I mean, that's kind of, it's kind of a waste of your time. I would yeah, say at, at that point, it's just, it's just for you, which is fine. But most of the time when public domain stuff is used, it's for the purpose of, you know, I want to write a book or I want to make a movie or, or whatever it is. But, um, you know, if you're going to do it, cool. But, you know, try and bring something to it that uh, that hasn't been there before. Mine that that, you know, that property for all it's worth. Um, and just like you did with Antoinette, just go to the absolute bare bones of it and find your little you know, left turn and then bring us that left turn. Because if no one's found it before, then you've got something special. Totally. And well, and this is another example. And this, you know, I've run into this a lot because I'm a horror writer. A lot of people use um, uh, HP Lovecraft characters. Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, a lot of his like elder gods and and the old ones and, and all that. And I, I've done that as well. And actually, um, in my book, uh, Secrets Best Kept, we got permission from Ramsey Campbell to use one of his characters uh, that he created um, in the universe. So that was pretty cool. But nice. a, a lot of people use um, HP Lovecraft or Lovecraftian characters. Not all of them are in the public domain, though, because I had to do some research for a submission that I did. And um, a lot of them are, but you have to look at uh, public domain, I think, Currently, it's like anything that that's published before, like sometime in the twenties, like nineteen twenty six. I think nineteen twenty nineteen twenty 
22, I believe, is where we're at right oh, now. Oh, 22. It's, it's, it's okay. stalled out for like the last 20 years. So I think it's like 1922. It's early 20s right now. Okay. Yeah. I knew it was somewhere in the 20s because I, yeah. I had to look this up. But I mean, there's a lot um, of, of really great uh, authors that were writing in that time that didn't, you know, they don't have a copyright on right. a lot of their stuff. So you're going to see a lot of people doing, um, I think, oh gosh, what was it that I found when I was doing this research? I think it was... Um, you see a lot of people doing like Sherlock Holmes. Sure. Um, because I believe that's still in the public domain. Like the character, like obviously you can't like take the stories, but right. um, you can use the character. Um, so there's a huge following, you know, behind, people love Sherlock Holmes. So, I mean, if you're into that type of thing, that's something, and that's something you feel like writing, you actually uh, could be able to do that. Double check that though. There are websites that you can look up uh, this information so that you're not accidentally using something you should not be using. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. There, there's tricks to it. Um, for example, with Oz, the, the book that I do, um, Baum wrote 14 Oz books. And then it was passed on to Ruth Plumley Thompson, who wrote, I think, another, I think she wrote another 20 or so. The only books that are in the public domain are Baum's books. So you cannot use the Ruth Plumley Thompson stuff or anything beyond. Um, and also with Oz, you it, it is conceptually uh, public domain, but you can't do things that landed in the movie. For example, the Ruby slippers are MGM trademarks. You cannot put Ruby slippers in your book. Um, and so on and so on. So, you know, there's, there's, uh, there is story public domain, and then there is also visual public domain. And you have to kind of be careful on both fronts. Um, because in some cases, visuals that you think might just be fine to use um, are, are actually trademarked by, you know, current companies, you know, because they made a movie or a TV show or something. Um, and there are things that are that are theoretically public domain. But somehow uh, the the heirs and the estates of the writers um, have managed to hold on to them. Buck Rogers is one of them. Um, they are very litigious about people who want to do Buck Rogers stuff. And uh, Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, uh, also should theoretically be public domain, but it is not. It is owned by the estate. Um, so there's some there's some very weird idiosyncrasies to public domain. But um, you know, just do yourself a favor and do a lot of homework if you find something that's uh, particularly cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and that brings me back to H.P. Lovecraft again, because um, the submission that I was looking for, I wanted to write a story um, about uh, Natharlatep, which is Azathoth's son. And he was the only um, elder god or God that was living openly, well, not openly, but he was living on planet Earth. And so in my research, I found out, okay, so he's public domain, but there are certain forms of him that aren't because sure. he appears in different ways throughout the novels. And so, um, like, I couldn't have him drawn in my comic as his iconic um, tree uh, figure, like, because he, he would sometimes appear as a tree. He would sometimes appear. Uh, I, I had him drawn as a pharaoh because that was another classic, um, way that he would appear. Um, and I, I always loved, uh, Egyptology and anything Egyptian I'm fascinated with. So it was really cool to get to play in that little sandbox. But, um, yeah, there were certain, like versions of him that couldn't be used. So it was yeah. very bizarre. Like you really want to double check that because you do not want, these people knocking on your door and they will. And I'm not even saying like, even if they don't notice, 
you got off lucky, but if that ever becomes huge, they're going to notice and, and you're going to be in trouble. So just yeah, you, don't. You, yeah, you lose. <laughs> yeah, you lose. Yes. They're going to they're gonna take whatever money you've made from it and they're going to give you a cease and desist right. and be like, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here with that garbage. Yeah, yeah, so, that's the truth. Uh, it's a good thing to know so, as, a, as a writer to definitely yeah. do that type of research if you're looking to do anything public domain or based on something that you've read. Uh, it is it is always better to create your own thing. But if you decide to dabble, uh, just do your homework. I mean, as with anything, really. Um, but when you're when you're dealing with the thought process of using someone else's IP, uh, always do your homework. Absolutely. And and I mean, I like the, like, there's a lot of, um, you know, I've always been a big reader. And I mean, I find inspiration in other people's writing, but I try not to, as often as possible, like, try not to um, let that inspiration lead me to trying to uh, blatantly do that same or similar thing. Because it, while these these authors are all great and I love the the way that they write and how they write, um, but they're different. They're not me, you know. They're different from mm-hmm. me, and I can take something, an idea, and and turn it into my own unique thing, and it's still kind of a, an homage to some of my favorite writers, but it's mine. Sure, you know, yeah. Which is a totally different thing because I'm not using any names or <laughs> characters or anything like that that could possibly get me in trouble. So there's a sure. difference between being influenced by somebody and uh, directly using a character or theme, or not theme, character or title or something of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. So homage away, but, you know, nothing that's copywritten, y'all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Be safe. Oh, my gosh. So... I'm in the studio um, in, in downtown Detroit, and the where I'm sitting right now, the sun just decided to poke its big old bright face through the grungy clouds, and it's right in my eyeballs. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and now I'm going to have to adjust myself here, but I can I can do that while I'm talking. Luckily, all right, all right. All I'm right. just going <sighs> to turn over to the other side, so I'm not facing it. There we go. Okay, much better. No sunburn Good. for me. Excellent. So you've got all your Kickstarter. Well, most of the Kickstarter stuff is out. What else has been going on with you? Um, I mean, beyond that, it's 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 just more work. You know, it's it's writing. Um, I have I, I I well, basically, I'm kind of wrapping up um, Oz for our artist. Uh, we just did the Kickstarter for Oz. It was you know, successful and we're, we're moving forward. We've got uh, most of the book done, but I'm kind of finishing up the story. Um, I had, uh, I, I, yeah, I'm writing this, this aspect of the book, uh, dealing with Ozma and bringing Ozma back. I don't know how familiar you are with Oz, but, um, of course, spoiler alert, um, you know, tip, uh, Tipitarius, he, he is Ozma with an enchantment on him. You know, Mombi put an enchantment on him to hide Ozma away from people so they didn't know where she was. And she's, you know, the princess of Oz. So in my story, like we've talked about a little bit, I'm, I, I don't want to just do it the way people expect. And with Oz, I have often found ways to kind of weave in and out of bomb stories, um, but find new ways to, uh, you know, sort of, of, end the the end the chapters you know um and so with ozma basically in the books you know mombi just kind of gets caught and stuck and and she takes the uh the enchantment off of ozma 
Um, and, and she returns to being the, the girl princess. Um, but I didn't want to just do it that way. So I had to go deep diving into the Oz lore again. Uh, and again, staying with the bomb stuff because I can't go into anybody else's books. And I actually found a way to resolve the story using bombs universe. That is not the same story that people got when they read the books. So I'm really excited about it. Um, and I have to, uh, I have to throw it against the wall somewhere. I have some Oz people that, that know Oz very well. And I'm going to throw this idea to them and say, look, does it, I think this works. I think this makes sense. And, uh, if, if they come back with a yes, then I know I'm, I'm golden. So, <laughs> uh, well, it sounds like you're really good at doing research though. Like I, I feel like, you know, you're, you're very committed to, to getting things right and, yeah. or to, and, or like, you know, finding, finding the facts and the things that you can use that are interesting. So I, I, I feel like it'll stick. I have faith I, in I, you. I think so. It all makes sense <laughs> to me. And I mean, ultimately, even if I'm just sort of close, I can still run with it. I mean, it's not like I'm I'm adapting history here. It's it's a fantasy story. So I can I can tweak and twist and turn all of this if I want to. But I kind of have always tried to stay within the the bounds of Bomb's world um, and make it all work with just in a new way. And I, and I think I found a cool way to do it. And then the other part of it uh, that, that's fun is we're introducing a new character in a way. Um, when I was at Oz Travaganza last year, uh, uh, John Fricke, who is an Oz and Judy Garland historian, was sitting over at his booth and talking to a kid who's probably like, I don't know, six years old. And uh, he was literally retelling a story from one of the Oz books, uh, like just talking, not, not reading it from a book, just like, Hey, this is the story of quacks, the dragon and, and so on and so on. And I was sitting there with Allison Lear who, who does cosplay with us and stuff. And I said, I don't remember quacks. What is quacks? And she, so she reminded me that he's this dragon and he had these, uh, you know, seats that were attached to his back and he would fly around, you know, through, through uh, the underground of earth and so on. And I was like, that's really cool. And, and it, it got me thinking because I love redesigning these characters into the Western format. So my Oz is the legend of Oz. It's a Western reimagining. So everything that we do kind of has to have a Western spin on it. And, uh, I said, so I looked at Alice and I said, how would we do a dragon in a Western Oz? Now, technically we could just throw a dragon in there because there are crazy animals and things like that. But I like to go further and try and figure out how are, how do we, how do we turn this into something that's more valuable to a Western world? And, um, and I've told her before, I said, usually this doesn't take more than about 10 minutes of thinking and you can come up with something. And so we sat there and I threw a couple of ideas back and forth and she threw a couple ideas back at me and I said, I think we got it. And I, I nailed it down so fast and I thought it was so cool that I went ahead and just threw it into the book. It wasn't even supposed to be in the book. Um, but because I think it's a really cool character and a really cool sort of nod to bomb and all of his crazy worlds. Um, I found a way to put quacks, the dragon into, uh, the story. So we, we got him put in there and then we've got the new twist for Ozma. And I think this book is going to be absolutely fantastic when it's finally done in, you know, January, February. That is awesome. Look at you. Look at you know, getting right? things done. Oh, I love it. Hey. hey. 
And then the other thing is we're, we're launching uh, Scheherazade. Uh, Scheherazade is coming back um, in January. We launched the Kickstarter January 11th. We're going to do a, a launch party out in Arizona at Jesse James Comics. Uh, Nia Rufino will be there with me. Um, we might have some other cover artists there. I'm not sure yet, but it'll at least be her and I. Um, she is actually doing the entire writing or sorry, the entire, uh, artistic chores. She is doing the covers and the interiors. Uh, so we're really excited to have her doing that. So if you look at the Antoinette book that you have and you look at the last four pages with the cats, that is Nia's work. And you can see what she's going to bring to Scheherazade, uh, is going to be unbelievable. So that is what is next on our slate. Again, it's public domain thing, but we are, uh, Everything Scheherazade for us is is our own thing, but it is also very, you know, historically and literary, literary, literature. How do you say literarily? Literarily? Is that a word? Uh, I believe it is. If it isn't, we just (laughs) added it to the dictionary. (laughs) Literarily inclined. Yeah. Carrie Castor is, like I said, she's my editor, but she's also very into, you know, literature and stuff. And so she's writing the book. Um, And so when we did the first volume, it was a huge mix of of things, including uh, finding the perfect sort of arch villain for an eternal uh, storyteller. And that is Janus, who is the god of beginnings and endings. And so in our first volume, they kind of meet up and Janus just cannot figure her out because he cannot see her ending. Um, and so it's a really fun adventure story. But there's also a lot of depth and, and cool, you know, little labyrinths of, of characterization and stuff that's going on. And we'll take those ideas from the first volume and, and you know, move forward with them uh, as, as we go forward with the character. That is so awesome. Uh, okay, so other than work stuff, because we always talk about <laughs> work stuff. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to make you talk about your personal life now. Are you ready for this? No. Okay. <laughs> what I, are you What are you doing for like Christmas and stuff? Because in two <laughs> less than like two weeks, we have Christmas and then we have New Year's. So those two weeks, we obviously won't be doing shows because Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve are both on Tuesdays. So this will actually be our last show for the year. Uh, and then we'll be back the the sixth or the seventh, I think, in January. Okay. So, what are you doing for the holidays? What you got going on, man? Nothing. I don't do holidays. <laughs> you don't even like okay, and I and I, I can respect. I literally that. don't do holidays, and and it, there's there's a number of reasons for it. It's not because I'm anti-holiday. It's just. Uh, you know, since my divorce, like five odd years ago, um, I've basically just been on my own. And most of the time when I'm in, when I'm, when holidays come around, I'm usually in a hotel somewhere. Um, you know, I'm, I, I just don't have the holiday thing happening. Like it's just, it's, 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 to me, it's another day. So really the only thing that I have coming, um, is, well, my birthday is December 20th. So I have that, but again, I, I'm, I'm here by myself, so I'm not doing anything. Um, but December 20th also happens to be episode nine day. And so, uh, so that will be sort of my, my little treat to myself is I already actually have a ticket for the 19th. I'm going to see it the day early, um, here at the theater here. So I'm going to go see star Wars on the 19th and, uh, and then, you know, I'll come back on the 20th and tell y'all whether it's good or bad. Um, <laughs> what you, 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 and your opinions, you have them. Oh my gosh. I, I have, I have been known to have opinions on occasion. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for anybody on occasion. Yeah, if you look at his Facebook, it is. I mean, you. (laughs) Tom has all the opinions about everything, (laughs) but I can also back them up with science. So you know, (laughs) there you go with science. Yeah, with science. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> I like that. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I'm, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty simple guy. You know, I, I, I try and, uh, do my comics. I do try and do my writing and try and keep the artist moving and, and, um, you know, just keep the, keep the spice flowing as they say. Um, and that's just my thing. I, you know, I, I've, I've never really been a new year's guy anyway. I was kind of like, I don't understand this new year's thing. Um, but, uh, Christmas just kind of went away because I have no, I'm not with family. I'm not in my own place. I don't have a tree. Like I'm always moving. And so, um, because of that, I, I just kind of, I, I almost don't even pay attention. You know, Christmas story will be on TBS, I'm sure running its 24 hour marathon. So I, I'll probably catch some of that. Um, but uh, no, otherwise it's just, it's just keep working and, and, and get ahead. Because like I said, my goal is to actually be situated and, and stopped with the moving um, you know, sometime maybe next summer and, and finally have my own place and just be normal again after, you know, six years of, of divorce. So, um, that's, that's in my head, that's kind of my, it's like, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. you got plenty of Christmases and everything ahead of you. <laughs> just get somewhere where you can actually enjoy them. Uh, and then you can, and then you can worry about it. I totally get like, I'm not big on Christmas. Like I don't decorate. Um, I don't do anything like that. I just I use it basically as an excuse to like do something nice for other people. Okay. Um so like Christmas Day I'm doing and I'm going to post about it again on Facebook cuz I know a lot of people who don't either A have family period or B you know they have families that are out of town or they have nothing to do on Christmas Day and for them you know th- they feel sad about it. For me, I mean, I'm good with I don't really care about Christmas but I I like to make people feel happy. So for me, I'm going to do um, Christmas Day. I'm going to invite some people over that uh, my wayward children uh, to come over and I'm going to cook some uh, really cool. Uh, I have a whole bunch of different recipes that I'm going to try. And hopefully they don't, they don't like, you know, throw up after they eat them because they're all healthy. So. Oh my God. But, but they're, they're, they're healthy-ish. So let's put it this way. So you're not getting like your full fat, like disgusting food, but you're not getting like, uh, everything's made out of kale. I'm going to go jump okay. off a bridge. You're all getting right. a happy medium. Okay. Um, so yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to do a test run. And if it's garbage, I won't serve it to people. <laughs> But, uh, so yeah, I'm going to invite some people over for just for a meal and, you know, to play games and just, you know, be in the spirit of like community and, and, and friendship. That's really what the holidays mean to me. I don't, you know, I'm not religious, so there's no religious aspect to it for me. I just, um, I don't know, you know, as, as we get older in life, it's, you know, our focus has changed from, oh, I'm going to ask my mom for an Xbox for Christmas to what can I do for someone else? Sure. That's kind of like my idea shifted. I spent my day today actually um, looking up animal shelters. I'm going to go to um, the pet store and buy like a ton of like dog and cat food and like litter and supplies and go drop it off at my local shelter uh, for Christmas. And, you know, it's just an excuse to do nice things. So that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's great. And I hope that everybody, um, you know, matter, no matter what you believe or how you celebrate, I hope that everybody is safe and uh, happy. And um, if anybody that's listening to this that lives in, in the Detroit area that I, that 
that I know uh, has nothing to do on Christmas Day. Um, I do have a smaller house. It's not huge, but you're more than welcome. Just hit me up on Facebook and let me know. I think I can handle up to like 10 people without it being a nightmare. So, Because <laughs> I'm going to be there too and my dogs. So, you know, I've got three of them. They take up a lot of Oh yeah, I know about all about that. <laughs> oh yeah, big dogs. You know all about them, big dogs. Uh-huh. They they're uh, they're like a necessity to my life, but they also take up a lot of my like thirteen hundred square foot house. <laughs> 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 someday I'll make enough money where I can afford like maybe eighteen hundred square feet, maybe, and I'll be happy. <laughs> there you go. And then I can get another dog. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm going to buy bigger and bigger houses and just buy more dogs. I'm going to be the crazy dog lady and I'm 100% fine with that. That's, uh, that, that's probably the story for you to write. You know, we always have the, the crazy cat lady. Now we need the story about the crazy dog lady. You know, if I was an artist, I would love to write a comic strip about me and my dogs because I'm very bizarre and I talk to them and I sing to them. Like I made up a little song that I sing them when I'm cleaning the dirt off their paws after they come inside. <laughs> I'm such a dork, but like, I imagine like what my dogs are thinking and like, I don't know, maybe I spend too much time with them. I should just shut up before you guys like put me in a loony bin. (laughs) 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 Stephanie's been canceled. Uh, (laughs) She's a, (laughs) oh God. Yeah. Some days it bees like that, but I work from home, so I don't get out much and uh, my dogs uh, keep me company. So other than podcasting and uh the occasional um i actually do go out sometimes but usually i'm just at home being lame with my dogs so mm-hmm. yeah that's that's generally the life of the creative person it really know. is it's a it, good it, life but after like two or three days if i haven't seen another human being i'll take my laptop to um this little uh martini cigar bar up the street from my house because during the day like there's really nobody there so because cigar smoke is just too much i don't really enjoy it but they i'll get a glass of wine and i'll sit down on the leather couch and i'll just write and i'll talk to the owner and i feel like oh man i've done something with myself today (laughs) (laughs) i've seen the outside world it's beautiful (laughs) uh but anyway um is there anything else that you want to talk about before we wrap up no, I think that's uh, I think that's pretty much catching us up. I mean, next year, January, like I said, Scheherazade kicks off our uh, 10-year anniversary for Big Dog Inc., and we will have the Kickstarter, and we will be at Albuquerque Comic Con to get the whole year launched. And uh, that's just kind of our focus right now to, to, you know, get ourselves aimed towards that. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, I mean, for myself, starting the first thing I'm starting with next year is the Kickstarter for Aeonian 3. And uh, it's currently being worked on right now. Uh, Stan has it, Stan Yak. He's doing the art currently. And then we'll get it over to Robert and we'll get it over to Robin. And, you know, we'll, we're going to basically have it all done by the time the Kickstarter starts. So that way I can get it right out to you guys uh, when you back it. And I'm so excited. (laughs) You know, it's it's funny because people are like, how can you continue to be excited about, you know, another issue of like the same? It's like because this is like what I've been waiting to write. And I'm finally writing something that's like an extended story that's going to take up more than four issues. And I'm fully invested. And that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Every time you're writing something that that 
is part of the same story. You're building the story. I mean, there's no ending to building your story. I mean, obviously every story has an, an ending of sorts at least, but every time you add to it, you're adding more depth and more character and more everything. And, and that's, that's super fun. It is. It's really fun. So I'm really excited. That should be, um, I'm going to have a specific date, uh, once January hits, once I see where we're at with production. Cause like I uh-huh. said, I want to make sure that I'm getting, uh, Within the month that we're doing the Kickstarter, I want to make sure I'm getting the book sent to me for final edits to send out as soon as the Kickstarter's over. So, yeah, uh, yeah, and then that's that's the beginning of my near, year next year. Pardon me. So, uh, thank you guys so much for uh, listening, and Tom, thanks for being so patient with me this last month. It's been very hectic, and I really appreciate you not giving up on me or thinking I'm a twit. <laughs> no uh, problem. <laughs> <laughs> You're the best. Uh, so yeah, everybody, you know, have a safe and and happy uh, holiday, and we will see you back next year, uh, bright eyed and bushy tailed, and with more you know interesting information on writing and comics and and all that lovely stuff. So until next time, keep it indie, guys. <laughs>